Okay. You just let me know when uh, I can do the clappy thing. You want to let them know I'm going to record? You ready? Yep. All right. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill Church. And if you are a guest or a visitor and you're clicking on this video um, and watching or you're listening on our podcast, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for taking interest in this particular sermon. And I, and I trust and hope that uh, this supplements uh, wherever else you might be going to church. So if we can be a blessing to you in this capacity, that's great. That's what we want. We want you digging into God's Word, and we want God's Word transforming you. So guests or visitors, again, thanks for taking interest. Well, if you don't know, uh, we've been going through the book of Jonah, and then next week I'll dip my toe into the book of Nahum. And the sermon series that we're in is entitled Mercy and Wrath. Throughout the book of Jonah, we have seen the mercy of God on display, not only in this reluctant prophet, but also in these sailors that we read about in chapter 1. And also we saw it last week with uh, the Ninevites themselves who, who received God's mercy when they actually deserved wrath and God's retributive justice. And then next week we'll talk about what it, what it means for God to be good and for Him to actually execute His retributive justice or His wrath. And so uh, we're, we're dealing with some heady topics, and I, and I trust that as we look at God's Word, that that is actually transforming you to help you think well about who God is. Well, today we are in Jonah 4, as you know, and as shall be read. And so I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll just dive right into this particular sermon. So I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you that you've given us your Word. And so this morning, once again, we come under your Word we want your authoritative word to instruct our hearts and our mind. Uh, Lord, we want you to, to teach us. Um, so for the next few minutes, by the power of your spirit, come and be at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before looking at Jonah 4, I just want to give you a quick review of the previous six sermons in this sermon series entitled Mercy and Wrath. Uh, we began Jonah 1, verse 1. And what do we see just right out of the gate, right out of the outset? What do we see in Jonah 1? The sovereign God of the universe placed a calling on Jonah. Um, he basically said, Jonah, hey, uh, I need you to go do this. In the Old Testament, we, we call this, uh, he's a prophet, basically. He's, he's God's spokesperson. And we see that Jonah, he was not excited about this particular commission from God. Um, he didn't like the task set before him. So what did he do? He kind of hightailed it, and he went to Tarshish, or at least he tried. Hey, Jonah, Jonah's actions remind me of like when I tell my kids, hey, it's time for bed. And there's usually two responses, one or two responses. Uh, the first is like, I'm going to protest, right? I don't, I'm not ready for bed, Dad. Or a child like mysteriously uh, goes missing somewhere in the house, not ready for bed. And that's kind of like Jonah, right? Jonah's like, ah, I ain't doing this. So he makes excuses, and he and he leaves. So uh, what we see is Jonah goes 2,000 miles east when God wants him just to go 500 miles west to Nineveh. God wanted Jonah to preach a particular message, and Jonah wasn't having it. Even though Jonah tried to flee, he, he got onto a boat, and what do we see when he got into the boat? God hurled a great wind against the boat. 
And eventually, Jonah was thrown overboard because the, a result of the wind coming upon the ship is because of Jonah. And the sailors realized this. Uh, between boarding the ship and exiting the ship with a splash, you know, God still did a great work despite Jonah's sin. Unbeknownst to Jonah, after he was chucked into the sea, these sailors aboard the ship were saved. And that's, that's miraculous. That is awesome. And here's the part of the story, part of the story that everyone knows, right? Uh, after Jonah was chucked into the water, he was swallowed by you know, this giant fish. Uh, for three days and for three nights, Jonah was in the belly of a giant fish. The scene is important for several reasons. We see this in Jonah too. First, Jonah prays to God, and in his prayer, we see the needle moving a bit in Jonah's heart. Also, we see the sovereign hand of God at work while he was in the belly of this giant fish. We see that it was actually God himself who appointed the fish, appointed, pointed the fish to swallow Jonah. And finally, we read in the New Testament that Jesus sees the connection between Jonah being swallowed by this giant fish and his own death and resurrection which means this book is shot through with connections to Jesus. And we're going to see that again today. Now, as we move into chapter 3, we see that Jonah is spit out, finally, by this giant fish. Jonah finally obeys God, and he goes to Nineveh and does preach. His message is short and sweet. It's just short and to the point. He says, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's Jonah 3, verse 4. One would think that this message would, would not cause a great awakening, right? He didn't say much, at least that's our perception, but it did cause this great awakening. From the least to the, great, to the greatest, they began to repent, including the king, the king of Nineveh. Um, we have people wearing potato sacks, basically, right? And sitting in ashes as a demonstration of their repentance from their wickedness. Most importantly, we read that Nineveh did turn from its wicked ways. So in light of the fact that they're like putting on sackcloth, sitting in ashes, the most important thing is that they did turn from their evil and wicked ways. And then at the end of chapter 3, we read that God relented from demonstrating His wrath upon Nineveh because He saw how they turned from their sin. So, all is well, right? We kind of get to the end of chapter 3. We see God's mercy once again on display. We're all good. What more is there to talk about? Jonah finally preached, Nineveh genuinely repented, and God relented. I mean, what is the point of chapter 4, right? You know, for me, it's like, just put a bow in the package and let's move on. Well, we have all the resolution we need at the end of chapter 3. That, that, that can kind of sometimes be the thought. Well, what we do read in chapter 4 is that God is not done performing a bit, of, a bit of spiritual heart surgery on Jonah. Because of the inclusion of chapter 4, we get the sense that we, the reader, need to enter into the life of Jonah to begin to understand why chapter 4 is important at all. Why is it there? There are aspects of Jonah's life we, well, we must learn from. Pastor Timothy Keller says, we see that Jonah's real problem was at the deepest level of the heart. It's hard to question Jonah's theology, but does he truly live because he understands the outworking of what he believes in his head? Does the heart inside Jonah match 
the heart of his creator. The first verse in chapter 4 suggests Jonah does not understand the merciful and gracious heart of God. Here's chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. So Jonah saw God's mercy extended to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, this, this stinks. I don't get it. And we read in that first verse that Jonah was even angry. So, we can't put a bow on the package at the end of chapter 3. Not, not here. Jonah was displeased and angry with God. And it's his anger and displeasure that is the window into his heart. It's also the window into our heart. I want to consider the heart of Jonah in light of another story we read in the Bible. Uh, Jonah's response to God's mercy and grace reminds me of one of the most well-known parables in the Gospels. So Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. we got four Gospels. One of the most popular parable, parables. You might know it. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Here's the cliff notes of the story, which we read about in Luke 15. Jesus tells the story of a father who has two sons. It is well known by the sons that at some point, presumably when their father dies, they will receive an inheritance from their father. So the father, a good businessman, was making money, and when he dies, he'll basically pass it along to his sons. The youngest son, though, wants his inheritance early. The father agrees, and the younger son soon leaves and takes a journey to a far-off country. The older son, however, stays with his father. He's working hard. He supports his father's work. And while the older son is doing that, the younger son squanders his inheritance because of reckless living, right? He's just passing out cash for pleasure. That's what he's doing. The son, however, falls so low because of his reckless living that he is left with eating food with pigs. Could you imagine that? Like, you have no other source of food, so those pigs over there in that mud slop, I'm going to go eat with them. Well, eventually the younger son realizes uh, he will have a better life just being a servant to his father. No longer, he's not thinking himself considered a son, but just a servant. So he gets up and he heads home. As many of you know, as the son was still far off, the father had compassion on his estranged son. And he like, he like makes a beeline right for his son. And he, he makes a beeline for him because he has affection for his son. The younger son repents, and the father holds a, a great feast for his son. The father says in Luke 15, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Great story, right? Uh, touching. It's a sermon that, you know, frankly, I need to preach because we, we clearly see the grace and mercy of God extended toward this wayward sinner. And Jonah is nothing like the younger son. Nothing. At no point in the book of Jonah do we see Jonah respond to his sin like the younger son in this parable. If anything, we see more of the, uh, more of the uh, younger son in the pagan sailors in Jonah 1 and the Ninevites in Jonah 3. Instead, Jonah is like the older son. As the parable continues in Luke 15, we read the oldest son was angry with his father because he held a party, you know, upon his younger son's return. It's like, let's just, 
the best, let's get the best out for our wayward son, right, who's come home. The father celebrated the repentance and return of his son. The older son, however, refused to even go to the party. He's like, oh, I ain't going to that. He was embittered. Why? He did not understand the heart of his father to see a sinner repent and change. He did not understand that mercy and grace is the true path toward change. We see the same heart in Jonah. That's the problem. So, when we get into chapter 4, there's more heart work that needs to be done in Jonah. God wants Jonah to understand his heart toward those who are not part of his little club, Israel. So that, with that particular story, in in light of what we read in Jonah 4, here's how I want to use the scalpel in order order to get to Jonah's heart. At the beginning and the end of chapter 4, we read of a dialogue between Jonah and God. Between these two conversations is a scene where the sovereignty of God is at work in the life of Jonah. So I kind of want to read this particular passage, look at this particular passage in light of these two conversations and in between these two conversations. A book in between these two conversations is this scene where God is again appointing things for Jonah's good. So let's talk about the first conversation and we'll just kind of walk through this passage slowly. Well, you know, even in anger, I do appreciate Jonah's instinct in verse 2. Uh, we, we read Jonah prayed to the Lord. That's good. The fact that Jonah prayed is a distinct change from how he responded to God in chapter 1, right? Jonah fled God in chapter 1. But now we see Jonah taking his anger and his complaint to God in prayer. It is the details of Jonah's prayer that do reveal why he was hesitant to preach in Nineveh to begin with. His prayer also reveals the chasm between his heart and the heart of God. Here, here's the prayer in verse 2. Jonah, Jonah says and prays, O oh Lord, isn't this not what I said when I was in my country? Right? Like, Jonah's like, I, I predicted this. I knew what you were going to do, God. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If you've ever wondered why Jonah tried to flee to Tarshish in chapter 1, verse 2, you need to wonder no longer. Jonah knows the character of God. Jonah knows what would happen if he preached in Nineveh and if Nineveh repented. What is interesting, at least to me, in verse 2, is that it's what is not, is, what is not said by Jonah in his prayer. Here's what I mean. Verse 2 is a clear quote from Exodus 34. So if you just kind of thumb in your Bible, just go, go back a little bit to Exodus 34. We see something very similar in that particular passage. Jonah mentions verse 6 in Exodus 34, but decides to omit verse, 30, uh, verse 7. Excuse me. Here it is. In addition to what Jonah has said from Exodus 34, it says God is forgiving iniquity, uh, rebellion. He's forgiving sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Yet, we know from chapter 3 that God extended mercy to Nineveh. You know, it must have grated on Jonah that God did not punish the sins of Nineveh. Right? Just like, ugh, kidding me? Come on, God. You know, if there's one verse 
in the book of Jonah that is worth slowing down and really taking to heart, it's probably this particular verse, verse 2 of chapter 4 of Jonah. Despite the selective Bible reading, Jonah declares several massive truths about God. But here's the thing with Jonah. This is what we see. We, We see he gets it in his head, but the question becomes, does he understand it in his heart? Here are, here are the attributes of God from verse 4. I'm just going to slow down. And, and like I'm shooting an arrow. I want to shoot this arrow right at the heart, our hearts. First, uh, Jonah says God is gracious and merciful. When the Bible says God is merciful, what is implied is that you deserve to be judged because of your sin. That's what Jonah wanted to happen to Nineveh. He wanted their sin to be judged. Uh, you deserve God's wrath because of your rebellion against your Creator, right? We're just like Nineveh in that sense. But God withholds from you the judgment that you deserve. When we read in the Bible that God is gracious, what is implied is that God freely gives you what you do not deserve. So on one hand, mercy is God is withholding judgment. And on the other hand, God is gracious, which means He's giving us what we do not deserve. What Jonah prays from Exodus 34 is directly connected to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So out of mercy, the judgment you deserve because of your sin has been placed upon Jesus. In God's grace, Christian, you have been given the greatest gift this world has ever known, the gift of faith to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Right? I I do hope you're able to read uh, this particular verse and bask in the grace and mercy given to you from your Savior. What if you read this verse and feel outside God's grace and mercy, right? I don't know if you ever felt like that. I know I have before, right? It seems like you just keep messing up and you're just like, I don't get it. I'm clearly not getting it. How could God love me? How could he extend grace and mercy to a sinner like me, right? Well, let me tell you this. If you are a son or daughter of the Heavenly Father, then you need to remember you have access to grace and mercy that is greater than the waters in the ocean. That sin that has been an anvil on your back, because of God's grace and mercy, you can give it to Jesus. You know, is, is your marriage kind of hit a hard moment, right? You know, we, the ebbs and flows of marriage means you go through hard seasons. Well, God tells you to come to him and receive his grace and mercy. Have you lost your temper with your kids? If you got kids, you know, in COVID-19, everyone's kind of hanging out with each other all the time. Have you lost your temper, right? You've sinned. There's forgiveness because of the grace and mercy of God. What you need to do, regardless of how you take an inventory of your life, we're all different in many ways. What you need to do is what Nineveh had done. Turn from your sin and go to your Savior Jesus. Do not be like Jonah and make God's grace and mercy just just an intellectual exercise, but move to your Savior in your heart and with your actions. What else does Jonah know about God but fails to experience in his heart? God is slow to anger. For a moment, I'll point the arrow on my own heart. Um, And I got to say, I I don't know where I would be if God isn't slow to anger, meaning he's patient. I mean, Sean Powers is a sinful dolt, man. If you don't know it, I'm just telling you right now. 
I do not deserve God's patience. God has every right to be angry with me. But here's what I've seen over my years of walking out the Christian faith. God the Father sees Sean Powers, a son, and deals with me with gentleness. When I mess up, God doesn't keep me down, but he, but he lifts me up. God is constantly trying to get me to see kind of the long game, the long game of sanctification. We're, we're going to do this. That's what he says. We're going to do this. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. He's a patient father who is worth living for, while an angry father is worth running from. And don't get me wrong. God hates sin. God hates my sin. But a gentle and tender God nurtures the heart far better than an angry word. And I'm sure many of you can identify with what I've experienced in my own life. God's patience with you in light of your sin might cause you to weep and uh, sing for joy all at the same time. Jonah should know the patience of God. He did everything he could to run from God but God pursued him all the more. In the belly of the giant fish, God met Jonah and showed him grace and mercy, ultimately saving his life. Jonah did deserve God's wrath, but God was patient with Jonah. And in chapter 4, we see that God's patience endures. Jonah also says God abounds in steadfast love. That's another declaration he is making with his lips. God abounds in steadfast love. Steadfast in this particular verse and in Jonah's prayer can also be translated as faithful from the Hebrew language. Point being, God loves you for who you are, Christian, and he loves you and his love for you is unmovable. It's absolutely unmovable. His love is constant. His love for you does not change with how you feel or what you do, right? I mean, your emotions might go everywhere. And it's not, it's not like God's love for you is changing as your emotions change. No, not at all. God is consistent. He is faithful. God's love draws you into His loving arms. His love for you helps you to see the sweetness of repentance when you do sin. His love for you has forgiven all your past, present, and future sin. Of course, God's love for you has been most clearly displayed when he sent his son out of love to be born of a baby. And the baby, Jesus, became a man. The man, Jesus, was, a, was the sinless Savior of the world. The sinless Savior is able to identify with every single one of your sins. He's not only able, but he took on your sin when he died on the cross. Do you want to know what steadfast or faithful love looks like? Well, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah says with his mind that God is faithful in his love, he is steadfast in his love, let's know that in our heart as well. God's steadfast love is unmovable. So Jonah is exactly right by saying God is gracious, merciful, patient, you know, with his anger, slow to anger, it says, and loving. So what's the problem? I've been saying it over and over. Jonah doesn't understand how his God could extend these attributes to people who are not part of his 
particular tribe, right? Ethnic and religious Israel. I mean, if you want me to say it plainly, here it is. Jonah, in his own way, in his own time, is a racist. He is very prejudiced against the Ninevites. It's his perception that others are not like him that tells us his heart is much different than God's heart. God's mercy, grace, and love is for all who come to him, and Jonah can't get that. Jonah didn't see it God's way. And at the end of his prayer, Jonah asked the Lord just to take his life. He's like, I know who you are, God, and I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time coming to terms with that. Could you just take my life? God then asked Jonah a question, which is repeated in verse 9. Here it is in verse 4. He says, is it, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry? Really? Is it right for you to be angry? I mean, come on, Jonah. I, I saved you from the whale or the giant fish, which we assume to be a whale, right? I saved you from that. And now this? Jonah does not answer God in verse 4, but we read he, he, he left this city. He says in the text he went east and made himself a booth for shade, which basically means he created a shelter. He wanted shade from the sun. Not a very good shelter to shade him from the sun because after he sat down, he kind of waited with bated breath to see if Nineveh uh, would end up being destroyed, right? He, I get the sense Jonah could use a bag, bag of popcorn here in verse 5. Uh, he, he wanted to know if, if Nineveh was going to relent, he was going to go back to its old ways and God would no longer relent but ex- execute his retributive justice, right? So he wants to know. He waits, and Jonah waits to see the drama unfold, except it doesn't unfold. He turned on Netflix, <laughs> but the internet's not working. And once again, Jonah's actions are misguided. And God does not let Jonah off the hook. We see that he does more heart work in Jonah. So between verses 6 to 8, we read God appointed a plant to grow to give Jonah more shade. And in the moment of gratitude, it says in verse 6, Jonah was greatly pleased because of the plant. He's like, ah, thank you. The The sun was getting hot over my head, you know. But the next morning, God appointed a worm to attack the plant. So the plant died. After the plant died, God, God also pointed a great wind from the east. The wind did not cool Jonah. It actually scorched his skin. The elements were so unbearable for Jonah that he almost fainted, right? It's worth pointing out, um, at least in verses uh, 6 to 8, how the sovereignty of God is highlighted, not only in this particular passage, but all, all throughout the book of Jonah. Uh, you might remember God appointed a great wind for Tarshish, for the Tarshish-bound ship. God appointed a giant fish to swallow Jonah. Now we see God appointed a plant to grow. He appointed the, the worm to eat the plant so the plant would die. And now the wind blew upon Jonah, which was appointed by God. It's also worth noting that everything appointed by God was ultimately for God's good purposes, but also for Jonah's good. When a heavenly father does spiritual heart work on his child. It is at times hard, but it's necessary. That's what we see here with Jonah. This is necessary. We, we do not always see what God is doing in the moment. I, and I'm sure Jonah didn't quite understand why God was doing what he was doing to him in the moment. But we can end up with a heart that conforms to God after going through the hardship. In verse 8, 
Jonah has another moment of frustration after the plant dies. He tells God again, it is better for me to die than live. That's how bad, that's how, that's how much pity he had. It just, let's just be done. You just throw it in the towel. Doesn't care. It's kind of like when he, when he told the sailors to throw him overboard in, verse, in chapter 1 of Jonah. Just forget it. Hey, here's verse 9 in Jonah. This is God's reply to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You know, same question in verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry this time we have a plant involved? Is it right for you to be angry with that plant? And Jonah says, yeah, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. And alas, we have an answer from Jonah about the condition of his heart. Jonah does not see what God sees. Jonah does not agree with why God extended mercy to Nineveh. And now he used the death of the plant to justify his anger. God's final response to Jonah is meant to provide clarity about the distance between the heart of Jonah and God's own heart, while at the same time leaving us with questions that we need to be asking for ourselves. Here's verses 10 and 11. God says to Jonah, You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, nor did you grow it, Jonah. But it appeared in the night and perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which is more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. That's how the book ends. Jonah's complaint about the plant is petty compared to the city of Nineveh. Jonah's complaint and God's response reveal what is going on in Jonah's heart. We see Jonah's anger is completely misplaced. Now, pause for a moment. Anger is not necessarily wrong. If you love something and it is treated or harmed, anger is a proper response. But such anger, as we read in the text, inordinate anger or self-righteousness and fear is a sign that the thing Jonah loves is like this counterfeit God. Jonah reveals in his response to God that he is inordinately committed to his, to his race and his nation. God will have to deal with this idolatry if Jonah is ever to experience the infinite peace of resting in God's grace and in His grace alone. The distinction between God and Jonah is further exasperated with this word care that we read in verse 10 and 11. Jonah's care for the plant and God's care for Nineveh is better translated probably as grieve, actually. The sense behind this Hebrew word is is to be heartbroken or or moved with emotion over something or because of something. Jonah was heartbroken over the plant that died. God grieved over over his created image bearers in the city of Nineveh. Like, do you see the disconnect again between Jonah and God? The point the Lord is conveying to Jonah is that he cared about the plant which he had nothing to do with. Jonah had nothing to do with it. Jonah did not make it grow. Jonah just sat there. And in God's mercy, he provided the plant. If Jonah cared so much for the plant, 
how much more should God care about a city full of image bearers? How much more should God care about a city full of people who are ignorant, like children, not knowing their right from the left? I mean, heck, even God cares about the animals in the city who are not made in his image. So, can we finally put a bow on the book of Jonah? Can we? No, can't. The story ends without resolution for Jonah, at least. We are left wondering if what he knows about God would make that six-inch drop right into the heart. But the ambiguity of the ending is meant for you to consider your life. That's why it's written the way it is. Frankly, this book is written in such a way where we're forced to ask some hard questions to ourselves. When we look at the life and words of Jonah, are we putting up a mirror to ourselves? For example, at what point in your life have you been like Jonah? When have you fled from God? When God has been very clear with you about something you should do, Jonah 1. Have you been in the pit of despair calling out to God in prayer, Jonah 2. When did you resent God because the outcome you expected did not transpire? Jonah 3. When did you curse God because something was given to you that was never yours to begin with, and unexpectedly that something was taken away? Jonah 4. And why don't you see the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all for all tribes and tongues and languages and nations, right? The church isn't meant to keep the gospel to itself, but it's to go forth out. The declaration of the gospel is for all evil and wicked people to come and experience the grace and mercy of a loving father. And that's the entire book of Jonah. You know, the more we've studied this reluctant prophet in previous weeks, the more we realize we are a lot like Jonah. But unlike the book of Jonah, there is another chapter for your life. There is a chapter 5 where God continues to write your story so that you can see the depths of His mercy and grace. And you know what else? If by faith you trust in the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ, this chapter does not have a final verse. It does not end. It is written in such a way where you experience God's grace and mercy over your life again and again and again and again. It is written in such a way where you read how Jesus continues to pursue you. <laughs> Just like Jonah flees to Tarshish and God pursues Jonah. Your Savior continues to pursue you. He doesn't let you go. Because you serve a God who is steadfast in love. So, we have learned much about the book of Jonah and from the book of Jonah. Not only have we learned much, but we realize that as Christians, we have much more to learn but we learn as we swim in the ocean of God's mercy.
in the ocean of his love that we realize God has been patient with us. So we have hope and we realize that our story continues on for our good and for the honor and glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and once again, we thank you for the work that it does by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So help us to think well about what we've gone through in the book of Jonah. And as we turn to the book of Nahum next week, help us to see even more clearly your goodness. We pray, pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, done.